Hey everybody, it is another lunch break, recording a podcast with Confessions of an Industrial Marketer. Hey everyone, Aaron Downs with Confessions of an Industrial Marketer. Thank you for sticking around for the last five parts of the multi-part series, How I Got Started in Industrial Marketing. I'd like to preface this episode, you know, as I've been doing this little mini-series, I've been reflecting a lot on mistakes that I've made throughout my career, and I would say one of the biggest and probably most important is in the area of networking. If I was to do a, a SWOT analysis on myself, like one would do for a business, I would say what has chronically been my weakest link is in my network. Uh, maintaining it, building it, meeting new people, staying in touch, and providing value to the people I have met. And uh, it's made me realize that I'm still pretty vulnerable um, as far as my network goes. It's at at these moments when you really want to start focusing on on building your network, almost like storing up nuts for the winter. What recording this series has made me refocus on is that I need to start networking again, COVID or no COVID. All the skills in the world don't really add up to much. Uh, If you're on the skids, like uh, I'm going to talk about in this episode, and you need a a job desperately, and you don't have a network, that's not the time to to be networking. Um, You should have a well-established network that you can use to to get back on your feet again. So that is what I'm going to try and do uh, starting today. So the start of this episode, uh, we'll go to 2013. Uh, I was still working at the lighting company. And I had saved up just enough money, uh, and I was tired of living on my friend's couch in Tarzana. And I moved to, to East Hollywood. Uh, the, the valley was just it was too hot, too suburban. Uh, just felt like the action was not there. You know, I'm, I was in my late 20s, and I was just languishing there in the valley. Uh, Hollywood, and by Hollywood I don't mean like the Hollywood industry, I mean the actual part of of Los Angeles, Hollywood, was cool, it was hip, it was exciting, and a little bit seedy. There was a lot of like really cool old buildings and brownstone apartments there, and I would remember just driving on the 101 freeway and passing them and going, God, I, I, I really want to live there. I want to be here, not in the valley. So I happened upon this place called the Harvey Apartments. It used to be an old hotel uh, on the close to the corner of Western and Santa Monica Boulevard. It was The room was, believe it or not, $650 per month. That is absolutely unheard of in Los Angeles real estate. Uh, the going prices for one-room apartments typically starts in the 1500 range, goes up to 3000 4000 
depending on where you're living, but I found this place for $650. My room was called a micro-efficiency apartment. So it was almost, I mean, it was probably no bigger than a large walk-in closet in most houses. But it did have a, its own bathroom, which was really awesome. It was on the third floor. This building, the, the Harvey, was run down. Um, and, uh, again, kind of a seedy place. But I, I, I loved it. Um, I, was, I was in love with it the first time I saw it. And most importantly, this was the first time that I had owned my own apartment. And before that, you know, I had always been living with roommates and each roommate had their own idiosyncrasies that got on my nerves. And, you know, I just never felt like I could fully come home and just relax. And this was my very first time being able to afford my own apartment. And the great part about the location was that it was only a 15-minute bike ride to work. So uh, it was just, I could, I could hop on my bike, get to work, and come back. There was no commuting in my car. It was just a real ideal situation for me at the time. Uh, down below my apartment building was a, uh, a, a bikini bar. There were a bunch of really cool seedy dive bars around. There were prostitutes walking the streets at night. There were cool abandoned buildings. There was a rock and roll rehearsal studio next to the building, which, sorry, there's a train going by, uh, which had this really cool history of being a place where Guns N' Roses first uh, did their rehearsals, and it used to be the Plan 9 studios, uh, the Ed Wood studios back in the 50s. Um, my building, there was, there was, in my building there was like ex-convicts, um, and I made, I made friends with a few of them. Felt like my hero writer at the time, Charles Bukowski, uh, living in this, in this old brownstone apartment in a, a quote-unquote bad part of town. A after a few months living here, in East Hollywood, I started. I was noticing uh, s certain uh, abandoned buildings were getting demolished, and new sleek metal, cold uh, apartment high rises were going up. And it was really the first time that I ever became aware of socioeconomic things like gentrification and urban renewal. Uh, you know, I had moved to this seedy part of town. I loved it, but I was seeing before my eyes the, the, the landscape transforming and a lot of the immigrants and people living on fixed incomes getting uh, evicted and moved out for a moneyed, young, mostly white population that was moving in. Fast forward to 2015, I was nearing the end of uh, my time at the lighting company. As you remember from the last episode, I had been relegated to a, a salesperson role. And there was, while I was learning some interesting things about that role and learning about myself, I really did not want to be in sales. And I had this burning desire to sort of capture the, the old neighborhood that I was living in. Uh, before it became completely gentrified. 
and and also at this time I should mention that I had uh, hit a point in my screenwriting where I had I basically had, had stopped screenwriting uh, probably in mid 2014 I was just getting completely burnt out on it and I, I just itching to to actually make a movie again and so I. At the end of 2014, I, I saved up about $5,000. I uh, built my own editing computer, which uh, for any of you that have done video editing, you know that uh, it, it takes quite a bit of computing power uh, and you need uh, uh, some pretty robust hardware in order to um, do it effectively. Because, I mean, you're, you're dealing with gigs and gigs of video footage. If you're doing it on a little laptop, uh, it, it you can just easily crash the laptop and uh, or, or endure days and days of rendering uh, because the processor is just so tiny and, and, and puny. But uh, editing computers out of the box, uh, especially the ones from Mac, I mean, you're, you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars uh, before you add any peripherals. But I found out from a friend that you could really build a robust computer for less than $2,000, and it actually is not that hard. Um, you know, you basically start with, you try to get the... Uh, the best processor around, which is usually, you know, at the time was uh, Intel, um, and you know, lots got lots of hard drive space, lots of RAM space, and you basically just put it together inside the body of the uh, computer tower. And I found a cheap monitor, a cheap uh, keyboard, and you know, after after some building in my dad's garage, uh, I had I had a pretty badass editing computer. So then I also got a, a just a simple Canon T2i camera, um, a couple of lenses because the stock lens is is you know it's a kind of cheap plastic thing. I really needed a, a, a nice robust uh, telephoto lens and a wide angle lens, so I got those. And uh, around February of 2015, said goodbye to the to the lighting company. And my plan. <laughs> ludicrous as it sounds today was I was going to not work for several months and just like every single day work on this on this documentary that was that was the plan at least but uh, I the the foundation of this documentary was not sound I mean there was basically no foundation to it at all and had I been a better more seasoned marketer, I might have seen these things earlier. Uh, you know, the as you'll read in many marketing books, um, you, you never want to start with the product and then find the audience. Uh, you, you're almost always doomed to failure if you do that. Uh, you, you want to find, you want to find your audience first, f find out who they are, what they want, what they what they consume, and then build something for that audience and I didn't do that um, a couple of other problems that from the start of this documentary was I really didn't know what it was about I mean I was throwing around words like gentrification and urban renewal and uh, things like this but I, I really did not have any game plan at all set up which is what I should have been doing in those months leading up to this um, 
I was naive enough to fit to think that I would just that the story would find me if I just went out there and shot and got interviews and stuff like this that the story would just come to me and it would it would all come together in editing uh, which is a stupid stupid way to make a movie even even with documentaries where you're dealing in the real world uh, which often change the story changes as you you know go through the process you've got to start with some kind of a goal in mind and and I had none um I also found out after one or two interviews that I actually needed talent releases talent releases are basically contracts saying that you know I such and such agree to be in such and such a film and hear all the terms of it and uh, to make a, a real talent release I mean you've got to put in some pretty draconian language like uh, you know universally and for all times your image is you know and can be done with however the you know the director chooses to do so it's like a hard a really hard sell and you know again i didn't i had no idea what, what i was doing i was just sort of like hey let's do an interview what's it going to be about i don't know we'll find out later um i didn't get too many interviews done because basically i was too shy um i kept finding excuses uh oh man my apartment's dirty oh i've got to do laundry i got to run some errands i was basically just shooting myself in the foot procrastinating um and you know it's like I, I was going out and shooting b-roll footage of like the the neighborhood but at some point I, I needed to have some substance and that's you know in the form of interviews with real people um at this time i met i met my girl i met a, my girlfriend who is now my my lovely wife and uh sh- to this day i mean i am amazed that she stuck with me through these hard, two hard years because you know of, of being unemployed and she had had a a, a a a motion picture background and would ask me well what's it about and what's your plan for this and you know innocent questions she was really not trying to interrogate me or or question my motives but i didn't have an answer cuz i had never asked myself these questions and it caused a lot of angst and and arguments between us and to the point where I just said don't ask me about the the documentary anymore <laughs> um and uh you know again no I I did not have any I did not consider from the beginning uh how I was going to distribute the 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 movie how I was going to market it I had no business plan at all Uh, and of course i i was making this completely for me and did not even consider who the audience would be or what the you know and what the uh, marketability of this project uh would be so <clears throat> uh in around mid 2015 uh after a couple of months of of being unemployed and trying to do this documentary uh i ran out of money and started to have to started looking for work and um i said okay well what kind of work can i do i really don't want to like work at a 
in a pizza shop or a call center or a, uh, a moving company, which is, you know, drudgery jobs that I had done in my early youth. I was like, I'm, you know, I have some experience now. I should be able to get a, a marketing job easy. So, I, you know, I looked on Craigslist mostly and uh, Indeed, and I, you know, was just applying for all these random marketing-sounding jobs like a, a conversion rate optimizer, growth hacker, copywriter, content writer. At, basically, at this time in mid-2015, I did not, I was, I did not know that, that I, th- I thought these were all buzzwords. I didn't know that they actually were like different types and different required different skill sets of, of marketing. I just thought it was all the same and like I could send in my generic resume and you know I should be a shoe in for this. Um, but I learned, you know, I, I, again I was I was not tailoring my resume at all. It was just this generic resume that I had had for years. Um, I was not preparing at all for the few interviews that I did get, so I went in very nervous and sounding not sure of myself. Um, one time I remember I was, uh, I, I had a job interview and uh, I was getting ready and my girlfriend looks and like, are you, wait a minute, hold on, are you really going in those? I was wearing torn jeans to this job interview and I at the uh, my feeling at the time was like hey me or love me you know here's here's me this is this is who I am and you know uh this and I was also like well this job probably isn't gonna pan out so why am I gonna bother getting dressed for it um and uh part of the nervousness that I had again going into these interviews unprepared was I would uh, you know, at some point they would start talking about past experience and what I did at my old job. And I was inadvertently putting down my old employer, which uh, if you're looking for a job, no matter what your relationship was with your old employer, do not even hint at your old employer being competent or uh, short-sighted uh, because, I mean, that's that's just an immediate red flag because the, you know, interviewer who's interviewing you is going to just go, oh, well, this person's going to be, you know, at their next job interview is going to be putting down our company. We don't need that. We don't need negativity. Um, and I just kept doing the, you know, it was the the what's that the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results uh, that's exactly what I was doing and and at one point my girlfriend was like you know she really didn't want to she, she tried so hard not to become my you know my headhunter um, or coach me in uh, in my job search she really wanted me to uh, to figure it out on my own but, uh, you know, at one point she says, like, do you, do you even know what a copywriter does? I'm like, yeah, they do this, and they're digital marketers, and this, and they're growth hackers, blah, 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 blah. She's like, uh, she, she went on Google, and she said, what is a copywriter? How do you become a copywriter? And 
you know, one of the first websites I found, which is is a very good one if, uh, for copywriters just starting out, is called the Copywriting Course. Uh, it used to be spelt with a K, K-O-P-Y, but now I think it's, it's they've changed it to a C. Run by a young copywriter named Neville Medora, and there's a lot of great uh, insights on uh, sign up to his email list, read his blogs. Um, watches videos, uh, you will get a great crash course in what types of copywriters uh, there are out there um, and and what copywriters do and how you get a copywriting job. Um, This is basic stuff that I just thought I was too good for, like I had learned all of it already. But um, my arrogance was not getting me anywhere. Anyway, I started to get a little bit better at the job search. What I realized what I, that I had to, you know, what I was trying to get as many resumes out in a day as possible, um, and and hence why I was <clears throat> using a, a generic resume. Uh, but I realized it's like if you really want to get a job, you've got to. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's it really is selling yourself. Um, you have got to tailor your resume and your cover letter <clears throat> to match as much as possible and truthfully, obviously, uh, <clears throat> all of the major points in the 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 job description. Um, hold on, my voice is getting raspy. <clears throat> and so I really created a system for applying to jobs. <clears throat> I uh, started a, a, a Google uh, sheet, spreadsheet, started tracking all of the jobs that I had applied for, including <clears throat> uh, links to the job description and <clears throat> the point of contact, the, uh, their email, their phone number, and <clears throat> Uh, was tracking and doing and, and making sure I was being really thorough with my follow-up. And I was taking sometimes as many as one, two, even three hours uh, per job application. I was really, uh, I, I would literally copy out <clears throat> the job description and I would tailor it into a resume. And if a job requirement was email marketing, I would take whatever email marketing experience that I had, try to find any way that I could tailor it into, you know, ha- having made some kind of a an, an impact uh, in open rates, click rates, or whatever, and boom, answer that bullet point and go on to the next bullet point, and the next bullet point, and the next bullet point until the final resume was answering every single key <clears throat> uh, on that uh, job description. Uh, and of course, uh, when I was, I was getting more prepared, uh, when going into the job interviews, I would, uh, I would do a little bit of role playing with my girlfriend. Uh, her dad even helped me with, uh, some of the role playing and I researched the, the companies, which is something I wasn't doing before. It's like <laughs> job application 101. Um, and I had found some clean pants without holes in them uh, and, and trying to, as much as possible, put my best foot forward. <clears throat> so around 2016, 
Uh, I move in with my girlfriend because I can no longer afford even my $650 apartment. Um, I was really broke. Uh, And I I finally landed a job with a a, a web design company. And it was kind of interesting. They had... uh, Their niche was law firms. They did nothing but law firm web design. And... uh, when I worked there, I, I got to learn the basics of HTML, CSS, uh, and JavaScript. Uh, <clears throat> it was a, an in, I was basically an intern working for, it was back down to like 15 bucks an hour, uh, contracted too. <laughs> um, so I had to pay my own taxes. <clears throat> uh, pretty quickly, the owner realized he, he needed a, a salesperson, somebody to uh, answer calls and, and submit proposals and, uh, and follow up with, with leads. And so I reluctantly became a salesperson again. Uh, some things I learned at this web design company, uh, specific about the, uh, the customer we were serving, uh, was about their, their two basic types of, of lawyers. They're litigation lawyers, and those are the ones that you see in the courtroom dramas, uh, you know, going to court, defending uh, clients. And then there's, uh, this is the name for it, but we'll just call them an other, which is like you go into a law firm with a con, you know, and they help you with a contract or whatever the the type of law that they specialize in. I learned that uh, uh, not, all, not all lawyers are created equal, and there's a, a huge variety out there. Uh, and the way they, what, that they classify their different types of specialties is they call them practice areas. For instance, there's family law, employment law, estate planning, uh, intellectual property, personal injury lawyers, etc. Um, I, I found out that uh, there's that basically in the world there are too many lawyers. Surprise, surprise, um, and a lot of people coming straight out of law school or uh, leaving their firm to open up their own sole practice were often um, too broad, at, at least for search engine optimization purposes. I mean, if if you type in personal injury lawyer. In, in Google, uh, you'll find millions of results and they all pretty much look the same. But the smart ones that really were getting clients through, uh, through organic and paid search were the ones that really niched down to a very specific uh, practice area and, and even client base. Like for instance, there was one pretty successful lawyer uh, in our roster who uh, did nothing but alcohol distribution. Uh, he did that. It was like his only client base, and he only worked in that. And there wasn't much competition uh, in that in that niche. So, uh, whether whether you're a lawyer, a marketer, a manufacturer, what have you, uh, the riches are in the niches for sure. At this web design firm, you really had to strike when the iron was hot. And what I mean by that is, uh, <clears throat> if you think about the psychology of a of a 
let's say a sole practitioner who is just getting started and doesn't have a website yet, they will there will be a, a, a moment in time when they are hot. They are like ready. They they like submit a uh, proposal or, or request for a proposal on Friday, and they want a website built that weekend. You know, if possible, um, and so when I got the sense that when they were in heat, basically, uh, I had to get the proposal to them as quickly as possible, follow up as quickly as possible, answer all their questions and try to get it signed within a week of their inquiry. Uh, because I found it, you know, if, if, if a lawyer wasn't ready to buy a website within a week, they were most likely never going to buy. Um, and that could be that they found a, uh, another web design firm, or they decided to build it themselves on Wix or Squarespace, but in a, a huge percentage of the case, they just they just other things come up and they're no longer hot anymore. They're they're lukewarm, and so even though they know they they still needed a web website, they just were like, I've got other things to do. I've I've got to like find clients and build my business. Uh, website will come later. The way that our web design business model worked was that, uh, you know, we would give them the full price, right? Uh, and then the lawyer would pay an upfront fee, usually about half of the, the cost upfront, and that would get the, the contract started. And then we would ask them for a, a number of deliverables, like, okay, we need you to write content for your home page and your practice areas page and your contact page and we need a picture of you and a picture of your lawyers and uh, a good 70% of the people that signed up initially for services that's the point where they went dark right I mean this is like step one of the web design process we haven't even built a mock-up yet and they would just go dark for months um, this is something that a lot of you freelancers probably deal with a, a lot. This is like, okay, I'm ready to go. Uh, here's 20 questions. Please answer them. And they just like freeze and, and go dark and you can't get them on the phone, can't get them on you know email, and you're just like stuck. Uh, so that happened a lot. Um, and the way our contract worked was if after a certain amount of time that, they, that we did not get the deliverables, they would have to pay the 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 other half of the contract fee to get started again. So all the time we were getting calls from you know lawyers out of the blue, like, hey, uh, you know, I I signed up for, you know for a website months ago. Like, what's happening with that? Or they'd be like, all right, I'm ready to to go. What what do I do? And we're like, uh, we sent you all the things that we needed from you six months ago and uh sorry to say but uh in order to get started again we we have to you know you have to pay the the second half of the the contract fee and that didn't go well over well with a lot of them um so you know the the i was glad to have the web design job um not not so crazy about doing sales again um and so uh, around late 2016, I started looking again for new work. Um, again, I, and I was like, I, I really wanted to, I had come to a point where I was like, I think marketing really could be my, my career path. 
um, before then, you know, I was, I was, I was sort of one foot in, one foot out, and I was finally ready to step both feet in and, and really make a go of it. Um, and so while I was working there, I, I looked for jobs, and I got an opportunity to uh, with a, uh, a men's suits store. So there was a, a, a well-known local chain of, of men's suit uh, uh, sellers, and they were creating their first e-commerce website. And so I was brought on, worked with uh, some other people in their marketing team, and uh, from the get-go, I was not jiving very well with their culture. We finally got that website up, and there was a big party, and everybody was excited and popping champagne that night. And I go home, and the next day, I'm getting ready to go, go to work, and I get a call from Apple One, uh, which is the staffing agency that this... Uh, company had hired me through and they and the person said are, are you going to work right now and I said yeah I'm, I'm getting ready um, am I late and they said no 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 um, I just got a call from <clears throat> the employer and they say they are letting you go and I just my, my heart sunk because I had left the the web design place and was really getting excited about finally doing real marketing for the uh, and and I got this call and they said uh, you know don't go to work and I said oh great oh well well thank you for telling me and the woman said okay but you know this isn't all bad news because it just so happens that we have had an unfilled job posting for months I said, okay, what's the, tell me about it. And she said, so it's, you know, again, it's it's been unfilled for months. We just have not been able to find anybody that fits this description. It's for an electrical and lighting manufacturer. uh, And they're looking for a marketing person that also does video production. And I was just like elated. Oh, wow. I mean... It, it, it was really like the culmination of all these years of, of failed, failed videos and uh, uh, unfulfilling jobs. But it's like it, it, it had all, all these skills had, had finally culminated to a point where I was like literally perfect for the job. And uh, long story short, the interview with this company went really well. It's the it's where I with the company that I currently work for. I've been working for for the past four years, and uh, it was just really saved by the bell that day. Um, we'll go into a little bit more about that in in a later episode. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed this convoluted uh, episode about my shaky two years of employment. This has been Confessions of an Industrial Marketer. Thanks for listening.